we're living in a very interesting time. You know, people in the midst of all the hoopla of technology and all that life seems to be presented to us, people are very disgusted in their hearts. They've run the gamut of trying to make life serve them. And it's time for them to have a relationship with something that's constant, something that's true, something that has stability, something that won't move and something that won't go away just because it gets dark outside. People are ready for Jesus like never before. The harvest truly is white and it's time to pick the harvest. It's time to be workers in the field. And that may scare you because maybe you're not necessarily a people person. But anymore, you don't have to be. You just have to let the love of Jesus begin to radiate out of your heart and people anymore can see. Come on, when it gets darker, that means the light shines what? Brighter. Brighter. We have scriptures that reveal these kind of truths. Romans chapter 5 tells us where 2021, where uh, sin abounds, grace abounds much more. If sin is abounding and it's grace that's going to abound much more, then why wouldn't there be information and revelation concerning a message that's going to help, help get you through and get you over the sin and the junk that's in the world? Yes. God's setting us up right on time for explosions. Yep. Right here in Boise. It's pretty awesome. Amen. So, thank you very much for allowing me to come. I'm privileged. I know God will do great things here tonight. I'm really, really confident of that. Let me share for just a few moments some of the things that God's doing in our life right now. Uh, we're in a season of transition. Very interesting to be in a, a, a season of transition because I would have thought it already would have taken place. And we've been that way for about two years, and it seems like it's going to be another six months or so to a year before we're fully in some of the places that we need to be. But... Um, a couple of years ago, I started having dreams. Now, that's kind of a scary thing because you need to balance it with visions. Otherwise, you've kind of crossed the void, and now you're over into what the Bible says, old men dream dreams, you see. <laughs> and uh, I wasn't ready for that, you know. So I said, well, if I'm going to start having dreams, then I need to keep the visions up so at least I can say I'm being twixt too, you know. And, uh, and they have continued, so praise the Lord for that. So at any rate... Um, started having dreams, and dreams were about my family, which is pretty cool to have dreams about your family that you see things that possibly could be, might be, shouldn't be, and God begins to give you dreams about it way before it happens for your wife, for your oldest, for your middle, for your youngest, and you begin to go right in there and just begin to weave your way in with the wisdom of God and avoid this, avoid that, avoid this, avoid that, avoid this, avoid that, and watch blessings overtake your family. Now, that alone, if you stopped right there, we could end our sermon and say if we just meditated on that for a little bit, how much is it worth it to us to allow Jesus to be the Lord of our life where those type of experiences are normal for all of us and we avoid so many pitfalls before we get into the middle of them. Come on, the world would have you to believe that the normal pace of life is just to fall in the hole and then try to get out. But God would say there's another way. Yes. He'll orchestrate ways around the yes. hole, over top of the hole. Yes. Just avoid the whole street. Amen. And he wants to do that for us. There's another way to live. It's called the grace of God in every area of your life. The grace of God to avoid the hole. The grace of God to be on the right path versus the wrong path. The grace of God to get you over a circumstance instead of going through it. 
the grace of God. Amen. Amen. God's ability to do in your life what you certainly can't do for yourself. And we know what we can and can't do. But thank God He can do all things. And we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Amen. So, these visions and dreams began to happen and we began to start teaching youth in our home and we still do that on a regular basis where we've got about 15 to 20 youth that will come to our house and we teach them. And and it's just a great time. And in the midst of of teaching youth, God had me to minister. Uh, In fact, i got doctors right now still. Uh, They'll come up to me and ask me, will you come to my office and pray for a patient? Had one ask me that just the other day. And uh, two and a half years ago, that's how it started. A doctor asked me to come and pray for a patient. And I said, well, I'm pretty particular on who I want to pray for. So I don't care what problem they have as long as you find me somebody, either, number one, simple-minded or easily persuadable. In other words, let's put it the opposite is, no hard heads. You know what I mean? No religious heads, you know? Like you start to quote a scripture and they finish it. Okay? Like just just someone that's just going to listen. So it took him about a month to find one of those. Isn't that interesting? (laughs) I don't know what that says, but anyhow... He finally said to me, I found one just like you're asking. I said, okay, what's the problem? He said, they have multiple sclerosis. He's getting a divorce because his wife's tired of taking care of him. He can't take care of himself anymore. He's lost his job. He's literally on the verge of suicide. I said, all right, sounds good. So I brought, I brought my secretary's husband with me, and he had been in a healing ministry for a year and a half and yet hadn't even laid hands on the sick because that ministry was too afraid if you laid hands on somebody you might have somebody try to sue you because they could get hurt but I thought they were going to get healed in other words why would you lay hands on them to get them hurt don't you lay hands on them to get them healed it's very interesting how half half full half empty you know what I'm saying you just it's a different perspectives are interesting but anyhow so I took him with me because, you know, his hands, you know, were very uh, neglected. <laughs> year and a half. Trained for war. Still can't use them, you know. Sad. So we went into that room, and I really didn't know what I was going to do because I didn't know if this guy's born again or not, and I didn't want to make that the issue. But I just challenged him as a man. You know, I just, I just got in his face and said, you know, are you the man of your home? He said, oh, well, yeah, I am. I said, well, would you protect your home? He said, well, sure I would. I said, well, I, I really doubt that. And uh, I've learned how far I have to stay away from somebody, so if they swing, they just, you know, swing all you want, but, you know, I'm at a safe distance. So anyhow, uh, I can tell he's getting really pretty ticked, and I I just challenged him. I said, well, you know, um, it's possible you might let somebody come in and just walk all over your home, I said, and uh, and abuse your home because you've let multiple sclerosis come in and walk all over your body and abuse your body. You haven't said anything about it yet. Well, he wasn't real happy with me. We weren't going to ask him to come back tomorrow night, you know, for another service. So uh, anyhow, I could tell he's really fuming, you know. And I said, so what's it going to be? And he said, pray for me right now. It'll leave. I said, that's right, it will. We laid hands on him, and God just drilled him. The power of God touched his life. And, and I mean, the power of God was on him, and uh, it, it wasn't necessary to try to try to help God out with some flowery prayer. It was pretty much just touch him and that's about it. You know what I mean? You could have said Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall in Jesus' name, amen. Because it wasn't so much in the words as it was in the intent of what God was doing. 
And uh, within six days, that doctor checked him out and said he is, uh, all the symptoms are completely gone. His wife and he have been restored. He's got his job back. Kind of sounds like one of those country songs. You know, got the wife back, got the job back, got the house back, got the... It's all coming back. So, anyhow, as we walked out of the room, I turned to Jed, who was the guy that was with me, and I said, what do you think of that? Well, his eyeballs were about this big. His hands were just vibrating because, see, remember, now they were neglected. They hadn't been used, and God just did a pretty good one all on one, one time. I said, what do you think of the anointing? He said, oh, my God, look at my hands. He said, you know, he's just, he's just got a grin on his face like this. And uh, to say the least, I, I wrestled with the picture of Jed's face all night long. I mean, literally four or five times that night, I'd wake up and just see his face. And by the time the morning came, all I had to say was, all right, Lord, I give. I'll do it. It was like I had my hand up my back, and the Lord was trying to tell me, listen, if you can help people, I know you want to know more. I know you want to understand more. I know you want to be able to help on another level. But it's like the Lord was saying, if you can at least start here, then start here. So I said, all right, I give. And that day, I went ahead and uh, told my wife, I said, we're going to start teaching people in our house. I don't know what that means. I'm not going to advertise. We'll see who comes. So over the last year, we've probably taught over 250 people and trained them to know how to release the anointing and to help set other people free. And God's opened up a couple area hospitals and a hospice home. And uh, we've actually got two other hospitals, well, about three hospitals, hospitals that would like to have us come, but we don't have enough people just yet. And, uh, you know, you, you train 250 and then get 25. Whatever, you know. At first, I was complaining. You know. Are you kidding? You know. Where is everybody? But then you just learn that statistics, and so you realize, I've, I've got a big job if I want to have 500 people. Do your math. Holy smokes, you know. I mean, that's 5,000 people just to get 500. And who says we'll have 500 by then? Because the first 100 may be gone by then, you know. So at any rate, I mean, it's a big job, but I'm just so thankful to see what God's doing. He's just transforming people. And in the hospital, we're having some amazing results. I was just in the hospital with a couple this week. And just to look at their face as they went in to pray for somebody and then come out and go, this is so cool. I mean, it's awesome. You know, people are there. We've got a badge on that says chaplain, so we've got a right to be there. And you can knock on the door like you're a doctor and go in and present yourself. And nine out of ten of, and ten of the people are like, please pray for me. And before we're done praying, because we're teaching them to release the power in a tangible way. Where it's not just, you know, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray my Lord, my soul to keep. You know what I mean? And it's not a prayer prayer. It's a, it's a release of God on their life. And yeah, people just end, usually end up with tears in their eyes. And they feel the presence of God. And many of them say right there, all my symptoms are disappearing. I mean, I can move. I, can, I have no more pain left in my body. And we've had people sent home from open heart surgery scheduled uh, the next day. And that night we got in there after the doctor tested them. And uh, that morning when they went to do the surgery, tested one more time and said, you got a brand new heart. I don't know what happened, but between last night and this morning, you're completely well. Put your clothes on. Go home. Awesome. And so it's just a start. And this past spring, we had 120 people in a class, nine-week course. In fact, that's something that will be up on our website soon so people can take advantage of that. And um, 
We've now started some miracle meetings in Tulsa. There's a church that's actually uh, about this size here, a little bit bigger, that's uh, offered for us just to come in and use their building. Um, every other week we do Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, uh, 11.30 to 1 o'clock, uh, healing school meetings. And, uh, and then we continue to... Um, uh, uh, teach and train people so on Monday nights. So it's just been really fun to get started. And it's just the tip of the iceberg. If you want to know what's going on in our ministry, just so that you can be encouraged, if you like what you hear tonight, we'll get right into the Word. Um, Wednesday was our second live um, Internet radio show. It's called The Abiding Presence, and it's just an absolute hoot. It's pretty fun. And... Um, We've got a website uh, that's called theabidingpresence.com. It's connected to jimhockaday.com. And uh, we've started this internet radio show, and I've got a pretty amazing co-host. Some of you that are in possibly uh, the horse business, you may have heard of this man. His name is B.J. Rickard. Has anybody ever heard of B.J. Rickard? Anybody ever listened to his horse shows? He had uh, a horse show. He was probably one of the top horsemen in the country before in 2009, he woke up one night after having his back uh, explode and uh, had a disc that ruptured. They opened up his spine, and here he had 25 pieces of bone that came out and left him paralyzed from the waist down. And uh, during that time before that happened, um, his radio show in eight months went from zero listeners to four million listeners in 97 countries. So he knows how to do radio. Well, someone paid for him to come to my class on doing the works of Jesus, how to release the anointing. And he came on the second class, and he told this person, he said, all right, here's what I'll do. He said, uh, you know, you're the fool if I go to this and decide I don't like it because I'm not paying you back. <laughs> but I will pay you back if it's worth it. And this is what he said to himself. I'm going to go and listen to this guy. And I'm going to give him every right to prove me wrong. But I'm going to see whether or not he's full of it. And I'm going to act on everything he says. And if it works, then it's right. If it doesn't, then I'm out of here. <laughs> so he's sitting in the back of the room. And, and he went from, in those two years' time, he went from being in a wheelchair. Doctor said, you're paralyzed for life. In fact, the doctor, when he argued with him, Doc, I've got too many horses to take care of. He said, I can't be paralyzed. He said, I will walk again. He said, no, I'm telling you right now. He said, I've gotten together with my church, and we prayed for you to have a really good life in a wheelchair. <laughs> now, his language is a little spicy, so he said, blankety, 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 blank. That's what I think of you and your prayer and your church. And he said, and I will, you mark it down, find you when I'm walking. When you're with your friends on the golf course, and I will walk up to you and tell you what a blankety, blankety, blank you are, <laughs> you mark my words down. And when he began to walk, he followed him for a couple of weeks to learn his patterns until he knew where he was on the golf course. He walked out on the golf course as a big six-foot-two cowboy with a big old hat, Walked out on the golf course, walked up to the doctor, said, you remember me? Doctor's jaw hit the floor. And he told him what he thought of him. But nonetheless, uh, 
he decided he was going to walk. And just sheer desire. Now, there's something to it, and I'm not wasting my time when I'm talking to you about this. Just sheer desire and faith. Somebody's not born again. I know. But you've got to understand something. We're made in the image and likeness of God. <clears throat> and it's all about what you believe. <clears throat> for instance, he said for all those weeks that he was in the, in the, uh, in the hospital, laid up in bed, atrophying his body, you know, atrophying. He said they'd bring him food. He said, I'm not eating your food. They said, you need to eat. He said, no, I don't. He said, why aren't you eating? He said, because if I do, I'll gain weight. I'm not doing anything. And if I gain weight, when I start to walk, my muscles will be weak from being in this hospital. I'll have too much weight, which will make it more difficult to walk. Well, you're not going to be able to walk. That's what you say. <clears throat> do you see his faith working? Yep. See, he's already got a path to get to a place where he's walking. Well, at any rate, that, that's the condition we saw him in. He was on a cane when he came. Now he doesn't need a cane. It's just progressively getting so much better. Got a little tiny limp in one foot. I mean, one service right in the middle of the service. He jumps up, runs outside, starts kicking the wall. <clears throat> Until he began to feel his foot. <clears throat> Comes back into the service, puts his foot up there on the stage, and says, tap on my foot. Well, I didn't know what he's doing, so I just tapped on it. He goes, he did it six times. I'm thinking I did. He says, yeah. I said, what's the deal about that? He said, I could feel it. So God's touching him continually. But this is the condition that he came in. And interestingly enough, by the second week, he had heard enough already where he was ready to try it out. And at his ranch, they brought him a horse that had an eighth of an inch hole in its eye, and it was blind in one eye. And in front of all of his buddies, he reached up there, put his arms around that horse, and just simply said, in the name of God, you're going to be all right. Everything's going to change. And they cussed him out and challenged him, and he cussed them right back out and challenged them. <laughs> he said, this isn't about me. This is about God. You watch what will happen. And within one week's time, the vet said, it's the most amazing thing. This horse's eye has filled in all the way. He said, this horse is no longer blind. He tested the horse and already knew that it had arthritis and bone spurs. And when he tested the horse, arthritis was gone. The bone spurs were gone. When he opened up the mouth, all the cavities had brand new enamel on them. <laughs> Oklahoma State University got a hold of the story of what's going on with this horse. They had the horse sent down to their top medical profession. They, they, they took a whole day to go over the horse and came up with that this is just a modern miracle unexplained, that the horse is perfect and there's no explanation for it. Every medical profession, uh, profession uh, said that this is an amazing miracle except one that got in his face, which was a religious person that was born again, that got into BJ's face and said, how dare you, this is blasphemy for you to think that you could make God heal a horse. <clears throat> So he went from the horse to the rabbit that he ran over with an 8,000-pound tractor. <laughs> he said it really didn't look very good. <laughs> he said it was flat as a pancake and dead as a doornail, if you kind of get the analogy there, all right? He said, I jumped off my tractor, got down there, and all he talks to is his dog, Ranger, and Ranger in here looking at this little flat pancake there of a rabbit that he ran over on, on by accident, and he, and he said with a tear in his eye, he said, this is one of God's creations, Ranger. It shouldn't be like this. 
took his hat off, scooped that little thing up and put it in that hat and said, by the time I get around to this field, this particular field in one lap, he said, you watch and see what God will do. Jumped back up into his tractor. Ranger got back up there as well. Took him 45 minutes to make the loop. When they got back in there, that little bunny was sitting up in the hat. He got down, touched that little bunny's rear end, that thing, and took off like that. So he went from the rabbit to the dead cat. In a feed store, buying some, <clears throat> buying some feed. A lady came in all flustered and said, I need a vet, I need a vet. She was just really upset. And so there was a bunch of people standing around the counter and BJ just answered out and he said, what do you need a vet for? She said, well, I need a vet for my cat. She said, I closed the door on my cat's head and I'm not sure that it's doing very well. <clears throat> well, what she did was she cracked the skull of the cat from the head from one side to the other is what she did. She didn't just crease it. I mean, she knocked out all nine lives in one shot. <laughs> so BJ went out there. This was after three weeks. He went out there and looked at that cat, and he said, well, he said, you're going to need a little bit more than a vet. He said, you're going to need God. And <laughs> she made the comment. She said, well, I'm a Christian. He said, well, so what? <laughs> She said, well, I go to church. He said, I stay away from them on purpose because all of those hypocrites. She said, well, I need a vet. She said, no, you need God. You need God to touch this cat and raise it up is what you need. She said, I don't know anything about that. He said, yeah, I know you don't. She said, what do you mean by that? He said, listen, I'm going to pray for you. You touch the cat. So she put her hand on the cat. BJ put his hand on her shoulder, and this is what he prayed. Come on, three weeks. I didn't tell you this, but the second week, I had enough. So he came up to me, and I said, BJ, it's time for you to get born again. Give me your hands. Let's pray. I didn't ask him. I told him. You're getting saved tonight. Why would you come back? Why would you want to fool around with this? Why not just get it? And God began to do some amazing things in his body. Anyhow, Jesus came into his life and he realized he was saved. So by this time he's born again. So he puts his hand on the shoulder and this is what he prays. Listen to this prayer. Pretty amazing. Insight. He said, God, please, please, let this woman see just enough so that she can believe just a little. And then you can be God. Let this woman see just enough so she can believe just a little. Come on. Faith is of a what? Oh, that's what it meant. Believe just a little and then you can be God. Right? Don't take a lot on our part to allow him to be who he is. He just can't help himself. He'd raise up a cat and heartbeat, wouldn't he? When he said that, she just cried out and said, Oh, God, I really do believe in you. Help my cat. Meow, was the next thing that was heard. I mean, the cat's lying down. I don't know. I mean, doesn't look good. Big old crease in the head, you know, and meow, sits up. She goes, Oh, my God, this is a miracle. He looks at her and says, No, no, that's not a miracle. She said, It's not? Well, what's the miracle? He said, The miracle is after you being saved all these years, you finally believed God. Well, I don't know what you mean. He said, yeah, I know you don't. 
She said, well, no one at my church would believe this. He said, that's what I mean. And if your friends were here, the cat would be dead. He said, by the way, that's the ugliest cat I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) He turned around and walked away. To get a phone call one week later to say, you will not believe what has happened with my cat. I took it to the vet, and the vet scanned the head and found that it was cracked from one side to the other, that it definitely was dead. And yet the vet said, on the scan, it looks like there's, a, there's a, like this band of something that's put the brain and everything and bones back together. The vet says, I don't understand it, but it's perfect. So the vet began to scan the rest of the cat. And as he scanned the rest of the cat, he began to weep. Tears just started coming down his face. And she said, what are, you, what are you crying for? He said, don't you remember a few years ago I spayed this cat? He said, all the female organs are back in it. You can, this cat can have babies. <laughs> she said, did you hear that, BJ? My cat can have kittens. And he said, well, whoa, whoa, whoa. Slow down here. <clears throat> He said, I will pay to have it re-spayed because that's the ugliest cat I've ever seen and we don't need any more ugly cats in Tulsa. I'm sharing this for a reason. He was in the bank and a lady slipped and broke her arm. Bam, the bones started sticking out right like that. She's with a couple of her daughters sitting there screaming in pain. They're ready to go call 911, have somebody come. BJ looks over. He's got, you know, he looks like, you want to know what he looks like? He looks just like in your history books. Looks like um, Wild Bill Hickok. That's right. Big old, you know, go to here, like this, long hair down to here, and a big old cowboy hat. I prayed for his health one, one, one weekend. I said, you watch, God's going to do something amazing over the weekend. He said, don't say that. I said, I said it. It's going to happen. I came back that, that after the weekend. I said, what did he do? He said, I measured my hair. It grew over an inch in, in just the weekend. Wow. He said, don't ever say that again. It grows way too fast. He said, what do you mean he measures his hair? Well, he has a mind like a computer. He reads over, over 5,000 words per minute. The pastor asked us to turn to a verse, a scripture, the other day in Colossians. And by the time I found it, he had already read the book of Colossians. My wife said, what's he doing? I said, he's reading. She said, he is not. I said, he is too. He's reading. Turn the page. He's reading. What's he reading? He's reading the book of Colossians. Watch. And a couple of minutes later, he was reading again. He said, what's he reading now? Probably Revelation. What do you think? <laughs> I mean, that's just, that's just how it is. His mind remembers everything. As an eight-year-old boy, he'd be at a stoplight, and his grandparents would say between red light and green light, okay, tell us. And that meant, tell us all the details. He would tell them Every person that was in every car, the color of their hair, the shirt they were wearing, the logo that was on the shirt, what the license plate was, the make of the car, at least that many things, just in that short a period of time. Pretty phenomenal, huh? Then you get somebody saved like that, and because, listen closely, we're preaching here tonight, even though you think I'm just telling a story, because... Everything in his world is absolute. 
there's no gray area. There's no room for gray area. When your mind calculates like that, literally he can write two different letters at the same time, ambidextrous, hold a conversation with you, and watch a TV program and have each one of those full attention. He told me, he said, I read 3,500. Now he's reading even quicker that he's born again, about 5,000 words per minute. He said, I only lose about 3%. He said, I don't know where it goes. I said, I took it. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. I had to get something. That was all that was left. Pretty sad, huh? In his world, there are only absolutes. There aren't possibilities. It's just what is. Math to him is very serious. Everything's math. So everything has to equal up. So either God is or he isn't. He's either phony or he's really there. One of two, but it can't be both and it can't be part of each. So when you take a scripture that said God will answer a prayer then why wouldn't he answer the prayer? Leaned over to the lady and said, would you mind if I prayed for you? She looked up at him and scorned him and said, like you could pray? You're a Christian? He reached down and grabbed the bone and the arm that was broke, slapped his hand on it and said, God, I don't like her and I'm sure you don't either. But she's hurting and she could use your help. Like that. That woman got up, started cussing him out. Who do you think you are? And the the kids are going like this to Mama and said, Mama, look at your arm. And she said, Oh my God, my arm. So that's my co-host. Come on, your Bible to Genesis. Chapter 1. I know we spent some time with that, but listen, everything that I said, it's, it's, it's preaching this truth. It's time to get back to the world of absolutes where everything adds up. No more gray matter. We've got to eliminate all that. In fact, you understand exactly what took place over there in Revelation where Jesus said, I'd rather have you be hot or cold, but not lukewarm. What's he saying there? I don't understand that because if we're looking at that meaning, and I heard one preacher one time, so sorry to hear preachers do this to people. Makes you want to wring their neck. And yet I know as a preacher, I'm learning and growing and developing, and there's things that I said before that sounded okay that now I wouldn't say them that way at all. So we're all in a place of development. But this guy gets up and he preaches all about how Jesus is coming at any time and then uses the scripture, rather you be hot nor or cold, uh, excuse me, I'd rather have you be hot or cold but not lukewarm. And he uses that scripture to tell people that if you're not hot for God, you're not going to make it in the rapture. So what do you think, what kind of altar call do you think you had? You've got people that have been Christians for years, gone through Bible school, teaching in, in the church, going down to the altar, oh please God, oh please God. 
because they don't want to miss the rapture. Are you kidding me? That's not what it says at all. What he's saying is, I'd rather you either allow the finished work of Jesus to be the focus of your life and the reason why you not only are born again, but you're going to live your life in identification with him, or I'd rather have you go back under the law and endeavor to live under the law where you have to perform perfectly in order to get blessed. That's exactly what he's saying. Why? Because anybody that spends any time under the law when you could be free is the same thing as saying, I went back into the jail cell to live uh, with the scraps that they gave me and be chained to a wall with a ball and chain. But I didn't have to. And after being there a couple of days, I thought, it's a whole lot better on the outside of this wall, out of this jail, without these chains. See, that's what the law will do for you. It will frustrate you to the point of saying, I give up. That's what the law was supposed to do for you, to help you to see that you need a Savior. The moment that you need a Savior, He's there for you. The moment that it's that black and white, that's when you receive power. Because you're not mixing the covenants anymore. That's what gray matter is. Gray matter is mixing covenants. Oh, I got saved by faith in God's grace. Not of my works, lest any man should boast. But after I got saved, I went back right into my works to try to perfect what God saved. And now you just muddy the water for what God did. And you'll make your life look like God didn't really save you hardly at all. But He really did. Come on, I want to share something with you as I go in in these first couple seconds here with the Word. And, and, And the point is to help you to see which came first. Thank you. The chicken or the egg, okay? All right. I want you to see something here in verse 1. And I'm not going to take a lot of time with it because it's quarter after 7. But it says right here, In the beginning, God, which means Elohim. And that means the one true and only God. Okay? In other words, uh, this name reveals something about how God is allowing himself to be written. I am the one true and only God. You wouldn't really need any other revelation than that, right? Because there's no need for other revelation than He is the one true and only God. All right? It said that God, Elohim, created. And every other scripture, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, come on, all the way down to 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, same thing, 25, and God, Elohim, verse 26, and God, Elohim, and verse 26, so Elohim created man, verse 28, and then Elohim blessed them, verse 29, and Elohim said, and verse 30, and verse 31, then Elohim saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good, so the evening and the morning were the sixth day, verse 1 of chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. On the seventh day, Elohim ended his work which he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work which he had done. All right, we still have no other name but Elohim. Are you getting this? Follow this pattern for a second. It has something to do with which came first, the chicken or the egg, okay? Then verse 3, and let me ask you and insert, insert this question. What's the context of what's happened right now? These first three verses are all about the fact that God had created because it's now finished. The creation's finished. It's the seventh day. We're resting. In other words, the job is done. Right? 
What's also included in the job being done? Well, you've got to go back up to verse 25 and 26. God made man. Now, what did it look like when God made man? Look down at verse 7 of chapter 2. And then the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. That's what happened in verse 26, 25 and 26 of chapter 1. That's what it looked like. God formed him. Ooh, that's really good. He's got legs just like me, arms just like me, looks just like me. But that body is fruitless unless it gets spirit, substance, life poured into it, right? So we see what God did. He breathed into man the breath of life and whew, man came alive. Amen. Amen. Now, one little proof text here as a side journey that when you got born again, you don't have a little tiny itsy-witsy, teeny-weeny, what's, how do you say the rest of that? Okay. You don't have this little tiny spiritual baby in you that you're trying to grow up. Like he's not ready for devils yet. So just work on one symptom at a time. Because he's little now. He's growing up. He's a baby. Wow, wow. You're growing up your spirit. People think that. But that is absolutely, terribly incorrect. Okay? Some devil got into somebody's mind and produced that thought. Because then that limits you and makes it look like God was into having you be insufficient as a born-again believer. No, the whole idea is seen right here. Did God make babies in the garden? Nope. No, he made what? Adults. Nope. Guess what your human spirit is the moment it's born again? A full-blown adult Jesus Christ spirit. Amen. Amen. You went from being emaciated to being completely buffed. Amen. 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 You can handle the universe. The moment that you're born again, Christ comes to live in you. Praise the Lord. Glory. That, that's the great mystery of the church. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Walking in His power, His glory, His ability, His might and dominion. And authority. Amen. Man, you preach that message, we'd all have to run around the church. We don't have enough room. You will have. All right. Now, to look at this, let me show you now. This is what God did. When he made man, he breathed into the breath of life, and man became a living being. Okay. So, verse 3. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. Still, no mention of anything but Elohim. Now, verse 4. This is a history and the hev- of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Isn't that interesting? It took 31 verses of the first chapter and three verses of the second chapter. So 34 verses before the 35th verse, God exposes something else about who he is with another name. Which came first, the chicken or the egg? See, I'm going to get to a a point here. And and don't try to figure it out because you're not going to be able to. But here's my point. What takes place here? You've got to find out what the name means in order to put the two together. We know Elohim means what? The one true and only God. But what does the Lord mean, which is the word for Jehovah? It means, first of all, it's a covenant name. It's a name of covenant. So right there, that should get your your mind thinking. For him to use a covenant name, you can't have a covenant. Like a marriage covenant has to have how many people? Two. Not two or more. Just two. 
but not less than two. Takes two, right? Okay, so for there to be a covenant being established here, okay, if you're starting to think that way, then you're already seeing what I'm seeing here. The word means the covenant-keeping God, the Lord who reveals himself as. This word means I now reveal myself. I now manifest myself. And how does he manifest himself? Well, you attach the other name. I'm going to now manifest myself as the one true and only God. I will now reveal myself in covenant as the one true and only God. If he's revealing himself in covenant, you've got to have someone else there to take the revelation and jump into the covenant. Right? So who's he revealing himself to? Thank you. Man. What's he really saying? I am your daddy. That's it. Really and truly, when you see Lord God here, it's God creating man, breathes into his nostrils the breath of life. He comes alive. And think how pitiful that had been for Adam to go, what am I doing? What am I here for? See, you don't know your purpose. Your purpose is found in whom? In God. Now, here's the chicken or the egg. When God breathed into the breath of life, did he tell him, go to the middle of the garden, you'll find a book, read it, the instructions are in there, I'll see you after you read the book. So what do you mean with the chicken or the egg? Which came first, God or the Bible? Thank you. God didn't breathe life into Adam and Eve and say, now, have a relationship with the Word. It's a very interesting thing. I'm glad to be here on your 10-year anniversary because I know what your pastor preaches. I know his heart. I know what he's been sharing with you. And he's been leading you into a place of worship with God. But let me share with you what the norm is out there. The norm is we connect people to a church and lead them into a relationship with the Word. We're supposed to be connecting you to God and leading you into a living, reality, alert relationship with God. It's supposed to be a God, God thing. Not connect them to the church. Like I was at one church function and all the workers had lime green shirts on that had, I love my church. (laughs) Well, I'm glad you do. That's awesome. But that's just the mindset, see. I love my church. Because we've got to keep them connected to the church. Because we need... You know, the tithe. (laughs) What's the possibility if you connected them to God and led them into a relationship with Jehovah that you'd have people giving out of love and prosperity from hanging around Him that you'd have to tell them, don't give anymore. Because you're giving too much. 
unless we just want to start a whole other organization and give it all away, but our church doesn't need any more money. Everything has been paid off. We're not going to jack up salaries any more than they are. Everybody's living very well. I know you're doing well, but if, if we're going to give more, then let's give it away because you're giving too much. Well, brother, that would never happen here in America. I know. Because we've connected people to the church. And we've given them a relationship with the Word. But the same ones that have a relationship with the Word don't know God. Turn to the book of Luke. Book of Luke. Is everybody doing okay? That was a pretty enthusiastic okay. I usually have to say something like, well, bless you, darling hearts, the, the two that said yes. Amen. But, <laughs> Amen. That was awesome. Thank you so much for being excited about what the Lord's endeavoring to say here tonight. All right? <clears throat> Listen to this story about Jesus, and then we're going to reveal some things here within a short amount of time. And get ready for some things to change right here in the atmosphere of this room. My job in the pulpit is not about this. My job in the pulpit is about using this to bring you to Him. Well, brother, you know, wasn't the, the Bible wasn't the first thing. It was God. That's right, because God wanted to come down and have a relationship with Adam and Eve. He wanted to walk with them. It's because of sin and man losing that connection that there's had to be things written about God to bring, bring information back to man about the possibility of having a relationship with God. I mean, you really do need to say, yay, Enoch, for Enoch stepping out in the middle of nothing when no one was seeking God and then just challenging the air to say, I believe you're there. There, 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 there. I know if I seek you, seek you, seek you. then I'll find you. And you'll reward me. He didn't have a church. He didn't have anybody else around him. It says, by faith, Enoch believed that he was, and he was a rewarder of them that would seek him. And he stepped out into nothing, and God was there. And then he walked with God for just a few years. (laughs) 300 to be exact. And there was more of Enoch in the spirit realm than Enoch in the natural realm. And he had one of those, beam me up, Scotty, experiences, and God transported all of his cells right on over into glory. He stepped right over. So how is that possible? Well, we need to ask that question when we get there. But it's obviously possible. And if it was possible for him, I mean... We're not getting it. I said, we're not getting it. We think, you know, transportation is motor vehicles. I said, we're not getting it. Come on, Philip went down to the Ethiopian eunuch and and baptized him. And the next thing you know, Philip's transported to another city. Transported. What do you mean transport? Lock on, Scotty. I got the the tractor beam on me. That's right. And and they put it on and and, and just took him and all of his cells and put him back over there. And guess what? I mean, his nose came back on the right way. I mean, otherwise he'd he'd have drowned. You know what I mean? God knew how to take him piece by piece apart and put him back exactly as he was somewhere else. Yes. Come on, can you imagine his experience? <laughs> and then he wakes up to say, where in the world? 
Am I? Huh? And anybody that knew him would have to say something like, weren't you just in... How'd you... Isn't that what they said about Jesus? Huh? When Jesus walked on the water that one time, it says when he got into the boat, the boat was immediately at the other side. What? Where did he get in the boat? On the other side? Well... If you've already made it to the other side, there's no sense getting into the boat so you can get into the land. You know what I mean? If you're already there, just walk onto the shore, right? Do you know what I'm saying? Yep. So the boat that he got into was in the middle of the sea. Well, then how, when he got into it, did it all of a sudden immediately be on the other side? It was transported, the whole ship. (laughs) We're already there, yeah. See, we don't have this thing figured out, folks. I said, we don't have this thing figured out. What's the possibility that years and years and years ago, as a matter of hundreds of years of accepting the understanding of humanity on such an amazingly low level, like right above the chimpanzee, if we were humans like God made us to be, then Darwin would never have tried to connect the dots. Because it would have been impossible. There wouldn't have been similarities. The very fact that people have bit on evolution tells you that we've accepted such a low level of humanity that we're so close to a primate that they could try to link us together as though we came from an ape. That's so amazingly preposterous, folks, when you realize the things that humanity could do. What a person made in the image and likeness of God is supposed to actually be like. What kind of a relationship are we exactly supposed to have? Is it a now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep kind of relationship? And then we struggle just like everybody else and we get in the middle of the rat race like everybody else. We're running, chasing our tail, trying to get the things of life to try to be happy and find some peace and just had a minute to sit down. Where's the grace of God in that? Well, I just have to. You don't get it, see? I got to work a third job. Well, what's the possibility? And I'm not being mean here. I'm trying to understand your situation. But what's the possibility that the grace of God would cause your first job to make more than enough money so you don't need a second and a third? Amen. Amen. And you have plenty of time to be with your family. Well, I'll believe that when I see it. See, there we are. See, our conception of what God can do in our life is right here, so our faith stops right there, right above our head. And that's as far as we can believe. And yet, the new covenant, let alone the old covenant, come on, the old covenant, people were transported. The old covenant, I mean, uh, Elijah went up in a chariot of fire. Where's our chariots of fire? How's that song go? I was waiting for the music. You know what I mean? It just seemed like we needed it right then. <coughs> I'm going to sure try. <coughs> All right, come on, let's get to this thought right here with Jesus. Look at what it says about him. It says, His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they finished the days, verse 43, as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. 
And Joseph and his mother did not know it, but supposing him to have been in the company, and they traveled a couple of days out of the city, and then finally came back, is where we are. You say you skipped a bunch. I did. So it comes over here to <coughs> verse chapter 2 and verse 47. I do that quite a bit, sorry. <laughs> you have blonde hair too, so I'm assuming that you know what it's like. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. <laughs> Only because it's actually very true. I, those things happen to me. <laughs> hey, man. I thought I could get by with a meeting without it happening, but it did. <laughs> okay, so verse 47 of Luke 2. And it said, And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. He said, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement of which he spoke. I must be about what? My father's business. John chapter 1. Now, this is very interesting because at 12 years of age, Jesus recognized that everything about why he was here was connected. Come on, somebody help me here. Was connected to his daddy. You got to remember something, and I say this. Because this is something, you know, that's, that's dear to my heart. Jesus is my hero. I hope he is yours too. Because he is and was. Now he's no longer because he's raised us up to be like him. But he is, during that day, and was the only eagle on the planet. And he was living with nothing but turkeys. Yep. Yep. And he's a hero to me because he never gobbled. Huh? Can you imagine? Living with nothing but gobble, 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 gobble. And here you are ready to flap these big wings, and you just go, okay, gobble, 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 gobble. Huh? It's so easy, isn't it? The environment, the people you're with, the influence, wanting to be liked. What's wrong with wanting to be liked? Not wanting to be hated, not wanting to be different. In your own little world. Amen. My sister used to say it to me all the time, Jimmy, you know, you're so heavenly minded, you know earthly good. And now I finally realize that if I get more heavenly minded, I can finally do some things on the earth that are of good. Yes. I realize there's a few moments where you, know, you might space out or miss a few skip, steps, you know, or skips. But, <laughs> but because of being heavenly minded, we can take that which abides there and release it to people down here. See, all kinds of things change just constantly. Now, look at this. Jesus knew as 12-year-old boy, number one, with no one telling him that Joseph wasn't his daddy, which is extremely profound. Because how in the world did he get that? Well, he didn't get that on his own. 
as he began to read the Bible, as the Holy Spirit began to take the Bible and bring inspiration to his soul, all of a sudden he started getting the idea. There's something here more than just what I'm reading. I'm reading about the Messiah in this passage. How come it seems like it's me? Come on, can you imagine that? 12-year-old boy, you come up with the deductions that for some reason this seems like uh, 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 you're putting this together and all of a sudden it becomes real to you and you begin to reach out like Enoch did and say, Daddy, are you there? And you begin to fellowship with God and you realize Joseph is not my dad. Now, what was he all about? His what? His father's John 6, 6, 638 says, I came not to do my will, but the will of my Father who sent me. So what was Jesus all about? The chicken and the egg, we go back to. Was he all about making people have a new doctrine when they were filled with doctrine? Come on, isn't that what made the Pharisees so mad? That Jesus connected some dots that they couldn't connect? I mean, Jesus would perform miracles, and they'd want to kill him. And he'd say, for what good work do you seek to kill me? They said, for not a good work, but you being a man, make yourself God. Blasphemy. That's why they wanted to take him to the cross for Jesus being a son of man, saying he was really the son of God by saying, God is my father. Chicken or the egg. Adam and Eve, when they came alive, God breathed in the breath of life. First thing that they were handed, was it a Bible or was it a relationship? Did they get to walk around the park, the garden, with God? Yes. That is the treasure. Not the Scripture, but what the Scripture leads you to. We're not squabbling over doctrine. Doctrine, the message of grace that so many people are wondering, is it right, is it wrong? It's like, you're not getting it. You're squabbling. And the devil or negative influence is sitting over there going, go boys, go, go boys, go. You're doing really good. Talk a little bit more about that. I think you need to have your own say-so. So go ahead. Get on Facebook. Say what you really think now. Oh, yeah, that's rocking, man. Say that. Tell that guy he's just, you know, flipped his lid. He's really off. Because who in the world do you think you are, you know, to walk in grace like as though, you know, you can just sin whenever you want to. And then people are writing all that. Say, hey, who do you think you are? Yeah. We send it. Send. Yeah. That's my right. And the devil's going, yeah, that's right, that's right, that's right, that's right. Because all that does is promote doctrine, 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 doctrine. They're fighting over doctrine, doctrine. And the message of God's grace was to do something. It was to help you through redemption, through righteousness, through Jesus becoming our sin, to get rid of every obstacle that was in your way so that you could actually say, Daddy, I'm home. So why is the Bible so important? Because it has good news in there of how to get home. It's your GPS to find God. Come on, once I get to my location, I turn my GPS off. My GPS can't help me eat. 
doesn't help me help my wife out of the car. But it got me there. So now partake. Come on, you've heard that old song for years. Jesus calleth, come and dine. Come and dine, come and dine. The master calleth, come and dine. You can feast at Jesus' table all the time. He who fed the multitudes turned the water into wine. He calleth now, come and dine. Yeah, the Bible will get you to God. And then guess what you get to do? Taste and see. You get to see some things. Oh, my God. And you get to taste. Oh, this is incredible. And you know what happens in his presence? When the consciousness of life causes you to have to then turn to the world and answer it, phone rings or the appointment, and you've had time with him, when you turn back to the world, you look at it and go, oh, pretty dusty, pretty dull, pretty lifeless, tasteless even. Mm. Did I used to like that? I can't remember liking that. Did I used to have a, a habit that did that? Oh. Now all of a sudden, the same grace that saved you is beginning to what? Perfect you. Amen. Amen. Glory. Hallelujah. (coughs) You're in John? John chapter 1? I don't know that I even need to to go any further, really. I mean, wow. I'd have to do some of this tomorrow. Look at what it says in verse 18. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father... He has what? Declared him. The word declared means to introduce him. Hey, everybody, i got a really cool guest that's going to be here tonight. You're going to really, really like him. Let me tell you a little bit about him. He is so big, so large, and yet he can fit inside your heart that he will cause your life to seem like it's a fairy tale. If you'll give him just seconds, you'll, re- you'll, you'll immediately begin to forget about the life that you've had, and you'll begin to start a brand new life that will be so amazing, you'll have to pinch yourself to think that it's really so. Would you like to meet this guest? I'd like to introduce him to you. His name is my daddy. Amen. Jehovah Elohim. That's what Jesus came to do. Isn't it interesting? Look at the progression here. Chicken or the egg? I got a a message. I got a doctrine. Or I've got God. What does the Bible do? It leads me into a relationship with God. What does doctrine or teaching that we teach do? It should lead you into relationship with God. If we teach it and just leave you hanging without bringing you... See, right now, here's an interesting thought. Stay with me. I look over this auditorium, and probably close to 90% of you are fixed right here. Your focus is exactly what it's like to be there. Beware. Be home. What do you mean be home? Be with Him. Your spirit is there. You're one. And in this type of focus, you can begin to have experiences now. Oh, brother, are you seeking experiences? I'm seeking Him. 
I'm drawing close to him. Well, I thought we're one with him. We are, but I need to draw close to him in my thoughts, my conscience. By what? By focusing on him. Allowing my spirit to have fellowship. Not just my mind, but my heart. I didn't ask my wife to marry me with my mind. Hey, you want to get married, babe? (laughs) It was a, will you marry me? What's the knee on the ground thing for? It has to do with what? Your heart. All the outward expressions are because you're doing something with your heart. Right now, do you see? You're engaged. Your hearts are engaged right now. What happens when your heart's engaged? What happens when your spirit is in control? It's impossible for your body not to benefit. It's impossible for your mind not to benefit. It's impossible even for your home not to benefit. What are you talking about? As your spirit, engaged in relationship with God, becomes more and more clear, the grace of God will begin to work in greater measures. You can grow in grace through clarity. What do you mean? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these what? But I have so many things to do. Oh, really? You can't spend time with him? Because if you'll spend time with him and allow through a moment of focus your spirit to have fellowship with God, just like we are right now, guess what happens? We'll have testimonies within one day's time of things that you've been anxious about, concerned about. And over the next 24 hours, we'll be able to have hands raised here that'll say, most of those things were actually nothing. I thought they were really a big deal. Then there'll be other things. It just kind of worked out on its own. I don't understand it. It's never been that way before, but it just kind of worked its way out. I wonder why. I wonder why. Because that's the grace of God. The grace of God isn't just a message that we're going to squabble about. The grace of God is God's ability in every area of your life. How does it begin to work? As you're having fellowship with Him. It's not about trying to memorize a doctrine. It's about Him. You don't think spending time with God wouldn't cause God's grace to begin to fix some things in your life? Take care of your kids on the way to school. I'm doing that one right now. Some of you are wondering where your angels have been in the last year. I've been using as many people as I can. Angels, I've been borrowing. My daughter is 16 and she's driving and I've been using everybody's angels. Now that she's got her license, I'm actually trusting in the grace of God. How do you pray in the morning? Father, my heart is in fellowship with you. My spirit is alive with joy. So I thank you that the grace of God is big enough to keep them completely safe, to keep the car completely safe, even to cause the passageway, the roads to be so open and easy that they'll make it there without any problem and home. Amen. Are you worried about it? Not one ounce. Why? It has to work. Why? 
I'm spending time with him. Wow, glory. Some of this making a little sense? Jesus came to introduce the Father. See, it was all about the Father. Wow, you know, and when you begin to look at it through this particular way, it's amazing because then the Bible becomes brand new. You see it everywhere. What do you mean? You see people pressing through the issues of life to do what? To make God the issue. What about the woman with the issue of blood? She had to press through the issues of life. Well, what if I don't want to press through the issues of life? Because I've kind of gotten used to them, kind of like them. So it's kind of the idea that, is technology really good? Well, of course it's good. Well, is it really, though? Well, why would it be bad? Possible that you could take a tech, technological device. For instance, here's a little thing. We're not doing that tonight, yet we could, and I don't have any problem with it, and I'm okay, but it's, it's just a little simple thought. You're all turning in your Bibles. Why are you turning in your Bibles? Well, you can't look at the screen tonight. What are you doing? Small, simple choices to do what? To have a relationship with Jesus. Rather than have one given to you that doesn't really mean as much as it is if you actually have to want it bad enough to turn the pages yourself. Mm, Sorry, I didn't say that, did I? So you're against having scriptures? Not at all. Have them up there, but still turn in your Bible. Turn in your Bible. Why? That's your relationship with God. Don't short-sheet your relationship with God in all those areas. Guess what happens? Then you'll start to do what the world does. We look for opportunities to have easy way out. What does easy way out mean? It means compromise. What does compromise mean? Well, I don't really have to you know, adhere to you know, wanting to do that like that because you know, a lot of people I know, they don't do that. And the next thing you know... It leads you down a path of what? Destruction. All in the name of? Well, you know, we've got some great technology. Our phones are wonderful, but what happens on our phones? Our kids are learning to, to do what? To, be, to, to lose the ability to communicate with people. And I don't know about you, but, you know, I mean, any kid would love to share the story of Jesus Christ as long as they could text it. Because you say, no, call them up. I'll text it. I don't want to call them. Call them up. I don't want to call them. You want to text them, don't you? I'll text them. (laughs) So we've lost, and we're losing a whole generation of the ability to do what? To communicate. I mean, even think of the generation that we have right now. Come on, I go back to the 60s. Thankful that no one said anything about that. That's good. <laughs> but I can still remember summer vacation. 
It was your only home when you were eating or sleeping. And if you were home, mom would think, what's, what's wrong, honey? Why are you home? Why aren't you playing? And you'd have to pick teams and deal with the fact that you didn't get picked first. You'd get thirsty and drink from the same hose. And you wouldn't die. You'd thumb a ride on the busy street. And you'd drive in the car, sit in the back seat without seatbelts on. The only seatbelt was, boom, mom's arm. That was worse than a seatbelt because it almost killed you. But what happened during those days? You learned to deal with life. You learned to communicate. You learned to get over issues. You learned to work them out. This is just an idea of modernization. Oh, it's so good. We like it so much. Yeah, but it's a worldly system. And it has in it everything that will keep your spirit from fellowshipping with God so that you actually accept Life that we call normal or natural to be life that includes devastation, sickness, struggle, hardship, stress, strife, and problems. And we call godly things supernatural. It's a supernatural night. We're going to have a miracle. Say, what's wrong with that? Well, you just inferred that it's a lottery ticket with a 1 in 200 million chance. Huh? Because it's a supernatural night. We're going to have a miracle. Isn't that something to be sought? Not something to be really expected? Because it has to kind of happen first to let you know that you could have the, actually have a right to get it. Because it's elusive enough, you don't really know when it's your time. Really, the truth is, everybody has a lottery ticket, and everybody wins. Amen. We should take the word supernatural and not use it. Really, we should, in its place, call everything about God that feeds your spirit and brings you into relationship with Him, where the grace of God begins to work... Un- well, I was going to say supernatural because it's so easy to say it. It begins to work uh, spiritually in your life. We need to call that natural. And along with natural would also go normal. Along with normal would go regular. Along with regular would go to be expected. And what's the opposite of natural? What's the opposite of belief? Un. Un. There you go, un. See, belief is in there, but you've got to un. And that un's huge. Unbelief is completely different from belief. Unnatural is completely different from natural. Unnatural is every worldly thing that doesn't feed your spirit and bring you into a closer relationship with God. It doesn't necessarily mean that all unnatural things are wrong, but they can be wrong because they're nat- unnatural. They're of this earth. They're worldly. What goes with unnatural? If you said an unnatural thing happened today, well, then there should be like a policeman, a hand that goes up and says, Stop, that's unacceptable. Amen. Unnatural should be unacceptable, while natural should be expected, regular, Amen. normal. 
Like a tumor disappearing in this room isn't supernatural. It's normal. It's just God. It's what He does. And we're spirits just like God made in His image and likeness. It ought to be just normal. Just regular. To see a hip that has to go for a replacement completely whole right now in this room. And by the time you get up and run around the room, you have no more hip problems. Glory. You've been struggling in your mind and, and, and losing your focus because your mind is not able to focus. And it's not supernatural. You don't need a miracle tonight. It's just normal. Normal for your mind to go turn it on and flip the switch and have God touch your mind and your cells and your brain start to fire like they ought to. That's normal. And the fact that you even have a problem in your brain is unnormal or unnatural, which is unacceptable. Put that hand up. Unacceptable. This is what happens as God becomes what? A focus. <laughs> it is. All of a sudden, wow, things are looking a little bit different about my life. Yeah. Yeah. And the smallest of choices make huge ripples in the pond. God likes math. Last thing I'll say will be done. God likes math. Two decisions that are small, but still important, that are natural, normal, regular, and to be expected, that lead your spirit into relationship with God. Two decisions. Could have been two decisions that were worldly, that kept you from experiencing God. So to make two that are right also pulls the other two that are wrong, and you have four that are now right. Or you could see it this way, like an old-fashioned English gunfight. We stand back to back, and we begin to pace off. Every decision I make for God means that decisions are being taken away from the devil. Exponentially, your life can begin to spirit to spirit grow so fast and experience Him so quick that you almost think something's wrong because I'm hearing God. I'm recognizing Him. It's real. Oh, you're being spooky. Only doing that to capture your thinking. (laughs) Because that's how we think of the spirit realm. That is natural, normal, regular, and to be expected. Is this making sense here? What would happen over the course of the next 24 hours if I said to everyone in this room, And I'm not, but if. I said, over the course of the next 24 hours, mark down on a piece of paper every time you had an opportunity to make a decision where your spirit was in greater fellowship with God versus making a decision to be distracted by by earthly things, carnal things. And every time you make a check, I'll give you a dollar for every one. Oh my God, I could get rich. If that was an incentive, what would happen if you began to chart it and all of a sudden you began to make steps toward God and the next thing you know, you were thinking about a few dollar bills and you woke up in the presence of God. And then you turned around to look at where you come from and you said, God, that wasn't really me, was it? Back there? Yeah, son, that was. That's what you look like when your focus is on the earth. I don't want that. I know, son. 
How do you feel about it now? Oh, it's repulsive. All right, remember that. And stay connected. What will begin to happen over the course of a week? We might pay you, you know, a couple thousand dollars a piece. But what would happen? It would become a way of life to do what? Make a good decision? No. Hang out with God. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> oh, whoo, glory.